You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. As Logan was praying, it just uh, caused me to think about the Apostle Paul and how many times he was separated from from his people, from the people that he loved because he was in prison. And it may feel a little bit like that as we, as we um, are social distancing, as we're called to kind of shelter in place by and large. Uh, not everybody has to do that, but like our kids, they're being asked to stay home from school. Uh, a lot of folks that, uh, a lot of you are, who would rather be working are at home And so, you know, we're four weeks into our Lenten season. And and one of the things that I try to do during Lent is just kind of stop and review and go, how have I done so far? Like I, I said, I would do a fast. And for me, I decided to fast social media. Like I have a tendency to grab my phone and just scroll through Facebook and Twitter. I'm not much of an Instagram guy. I guess I'm too old for that. I'll uh, Marco Polo you to death, though. Um, but I've, and hopefully Marco Polo is not social media because I've been breaking that fast. <laughs> I'm sure God still loves me. But my tendency is to grab my phone. Instead of grab my phone throughout the week, I'm taking time to connect to God. And so, you know, each week I kind of step back and go, well, how, how have I connected like, am I just giving something up or am I gaining the, my relationship? Am I adding to my relationship with God in a unique way during this season? Hopefully that, that is what's happening with you. But then we have the coronavirus and, and that enters into our Lenten season. One guy quipped that uh, he's giving up way more for Lent than he anticipated. And, and while that's funny... It's interesting how these life changes can impact the way we engage with God. Hopefully, this is helping you to engage more, uh, engage more intentionally. So hopefully that's true of you. If you want help through that, you could talk with Logan and I. We would love to have the conversation and talk through that. We are in our Experiencing God series, and so far we've asked you to consider three truths. Number one, that God is always at work. This is something that Jesus said, and this is, this is something that I believe is still true today. I know that you desire to see your friends connect with God. I know that you desire to see things change in your family, and you desire to see our community to improve. Tuning your eyes to see God at work it's key. It's, it's the first step. It's, it's going, man, I'm going to look for, I'm going to look for where God is at work. This is where you start to experience in God. Secondly, we said that God pursues you for a relationship and not just you. God is pursuing others through you. We know that God pursued Moses and then all of Israel through Moses. And God pursued me. I, I know that. I, I, have, I have story after story of how God pursued me. And God pursued me through people. But I knew it was God that was calling my name. I knew that he wanted to have a relationship with me. 
And, and now he's calling me to partner with him in pursuing others. And that's, that is one of the main goals of the church. And it's, it's interesting because the God that spoke the universe into existence, he desires to have this personal connection like this, this God that's big enough to speak the universe, let alone Montana. I mean, Montana is a big space, but that massive God that speaks the universe into existence decides to come down and condescend to our level and have this personal relationship. I find that so fascinating. And then the third thing that we ask you to consider is that God's invitation is for you to join him. He wants you to join him in the things that he's doing. We don't get to ask God to join us in what we're doing, but we do get to join God in what he is doing. And when we do that, it's going to cost us. Like Jesus said that discipleship to be part of his kingdom comes with the cost. And we looked at uh, these patriarchs, Elisha and Elijah, and their relationship. And as, as Elisha became a disciple of Elijah, he gave up financially. He, he destroyed everything that he had that would allow him to work this large, prosperous farm. And uh, he created a barbecue. And, um, you know, Elisha would spend all of his time with Elijah. So it cost him financially. It cost him financial security. It cost him time. And then also cost him, it changed his relationships. And so there's a, there's very real costs to following Jesus, to being part of his mission, to being a disciple, to not just believing that he is the son of God, which that is true. Even the demons recognize that. But there's this cost and yet there's this benefit. There's this benefit like Elisha was benefited. His community, Israel was benefited. He was a, he was a prophet for 60 years. He got to have that personal relationship while he roamed the earth for 60 of his years. And he brought healing to people. He brought victory for the people of Israel. And so when you and I choose experience, God, we will benefit. And so will our community. So I'm hoping that you'll accept the costs. Well, let's assume that you're on board. Let's assume that you know that God is always at work. You, you believe that, you trust that, you see it. And you, you see that God pursues you and you trust that his invitation for you is to join him. The question you may be wrestling with is this. How do I know that this right here, right now, how do I know that this is God? How do I know that this is God speaking to me, that he's inviting me to this particular task, that he's asking me to make this particular move? This has been probably my number one question that I've wrestled with as a, as a follower of Christ. At times I've sensed God wanted me to have spiritual conversation with somebody. I really wrestled over, is this God, are you in my relationship with Christy as, as Christy and I came together and we were pursuing marriage? 
at times when I've changed jobs, I've, I've questioned, Lord, are you in this? Are you asking me to change this job? When we've sold houses and we've decided to move, whether it be across town or into another state. At times when I was looking to serve the church in a new way, I wondered, Lord, are you, are you leading me to this? Have you equipped me? Have you designed me for this? Like this seems bigger than me. I, I don't want to do this without you. When I left my family business, I wrestled for months over that decision. I felt like God was calling me to the ministry, but I wrestled over that. Lord, is this you? Because I was walking away like Elisha left his family business, his family farm. I was leaving my parents' transmission shop that was very prosperous. When we moved to Moscow and we left our friends and family to go to a town that where we knew a few people kind of, we just knew that there was a church there that God was working through and we felt like we should be a part of what they were doing there. And, and I would eventually end up on staff there. And then when I decided, when Christy and I together decided to move to Missoula, we, it was one of those times actually that we knew instantly that God was calling us to that. But other times we wrestled for months and then me taking on the lead pastor role. That wasn't a decision that I made overnight. I wrestled with God over that, over a period of time. In each of these circumstances and a thousand times, I question, is this you, God? There's a principle I learned in one-on-one speech class. You probably, you may have taken speech either in high school or in college. Uh, but for me, I learned this principle 25 years ago and I drew this diagram in speech, you have the person that's transmitting the message. So the T is the transmitter. The M is the message. The R is the person that's receiving the message. The F is for the feedback loop. And it's the transmitter's responsibility for communicating the message so that, so that the receiver can understand. The transmitter chooses the message. He chooses the environment for, for presenting the message. We chose this environment. And then the language, the language that, that's used, uh, whether or not I choose to use humor to communicate, whether I use stories or I use graphs, like all this is, is within the control of the person transmitting the message. And so... When I come to this question of God, is that you? Are you communicating with me? I have to remember some things. First of all, God is my creator. He knows how to communicate to me. It'd be so strange if God came and communicated to me in, in Chinese and I had no way of translating that. That would be totally weird. If I'm confused, God knows why. Like he designed me. He, he knows my idiosyncrasies. He loves me. And he has people who could come alongside me to help me answer this question of God. Is that you? And so a principle that I live by is this. Until I know that is God leading me, 
I wait. I wait. Now, with that said, the receiver still plays a vital part in the communication process. They have to show up. They have to be engaged. They have to not just hear, but, but listen. And they have to take advantage of the feedback loop and they have to ask questions. And so as I'm wrestling through, God, is this you? I still have to show up, I have to be engaged, I have to listen, I have to ask questions. And that's all part of the process. When I was in the military, I served in a deployable communication squadron. Our job was to be ready to deploy within 36 hours, always. We always had to be prepared. And so I had access to our our top secret vault and uh, I was on the phone list and they would call me, the, the communication squadron that supported us at the wing, when a top secret message would come in, they would call me and they say, Sergeant Croyle, there's a message for the commander. It's top secret, but here's the unclassified subject line. And if there was no unclassified subject line, if they couldn't tell me what the subject of the message was, I had to drive 45 minutes to my work, open up the vault, open up the classified computer and download the message. That was me actively being prepared to receive the message. And we have our part to play, all of us, in being actively prepared for God to communicate with us. And we want to talk about what that looks like. So Logan's going to come up and he's going to share some things from his personal journey in knowing God's voice. All right. Yeah. Uh, team teaching. Well, first time at Mission Ridge, I think, technically. Uh, so we'll just see how this goes. Oop, throwing things. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I get to talk a, bit, a little bit about uh, what it looks like to know God's voice, right? So we're going to start off, and I want to start off with this passage out of Genesis. This is Genesis 26, verses 4 and 5. In this passage, God is affirming to Isaac uh, the covenant that he made with his father, with Abraham. Okay? And so we read this. I will make your descendants as numerous in this, as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all, nation, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. Now, what I want to cue in on here is this Abraham obeyed me. Right there. Right there. Uh, Abraham obeyed me. Um, <clears throat> in some translations, you'll get this and it will come across as know my voice because Abraham knew my voice. Okay. And that might be a better, I know we've talked about this a couple of times in either footnotes or, uh, or Robin in previous sermons here. We've, this has come up a couple of times of this know my voice, uh, conversation. Um, later Jesus will talk about the sheep knowing the sound of their shepherd's voice, which if you're reading this and you hear, know my voice, it probably should like, oh, hey, no, that sounds, that sounds similar to something about knowing the sound of a voice. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm all raspy from singing and stuff. To know his voice, you have to be in relationship with him. Okay. If I'm going to know someone's voice, if I'm going to be familiar, if, I, if I'm going to answer the phone and say hello and be like, oh, it's Josh. 
I have to know what Josh's voice sounds like. Uh, Josh is sitting over there for those of you that can't see Josh, um, which would be all of you. So there you go. Anyway, uh, let's think about this for a minute of what it takes to be in a healthy relationship with someone, though, because if you're going to know their voice, you need to be in relationship with them. And so we need, what does that mean? What does that mean? Now, Rob kind of mentioned a couple of these things that we're going to touch on. There's two big things that I want to talk about, proximity and attention. Now, when I say proximity, this is going to come across as closeness, right? You could use those two words synonymously, right? You could, either one of them works. Closeness, proximity. You want to be tight with this person, okay? Now, proximity or closeness we're going to break this down into two concepts. I think that proximity requires time and it requires space. Okay. Now, when I say time, it's hard to grow a relationship with someone that you cannot spend time with. Right. This is why when, when we, we joke about long distance being difficult, right? If you can't spend time with them, this is difficult. Now with technology, we're spending time together. You and me right now. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, uh, sitting on your couch, like we're spending time together. This is great right? Kind of. It's not maybe, maybe not quite as good because we're not in the same space, but we're going to talk a little bit more about that on footnotes as the, the correlation between the two. But this is why we're setting up Marco Polo and we're doing care groups via zoom and we're doing live streaming the sermons and we're calling people and we want to stay in touch with everyone because if we're going to be in relationship with you, if I'm going to be in relationship with you, I need to make time to be with you. And that's what this might look like or zoom with a care group or Marco Polo or Snapchat for the Gen Z's or millennials that like it. Ooh, I'm not a big fan of any of that personally, but I'm being pressed. Rob pressured me into Marco Polo peer pressure. It's a terrible thing. Nonetheless, let's go on to attention. Okay. So you got proximity, which is time and space. And then we need attention. So I could be around you, You've had relationships like this. This is uh, this is the cliche teenager relationship, right? Of they're just sitting there and they're playing on their phone the entire time, right? This is this is they're not really paying attention because you might be talking to them, but are they listening? They might even be hearing you, but are they listening? You can't just be around someone and call that attention. You have to actually listen. And if that means that you hear the person and then you seek to understand what they are saying, you have to hear them. It has to come in. You have to synthesize whatever they're saying, process it, figure it out, understand it. This is what Rob was talking about with that communication loop. You got to come back and you have to express that you understand what they, what they, uh, what they know. And that's the interact. So for attention, you need to listen and you need to interact. If you don't interact with the person, it's going to be the most boring relationship ever. You can listen all you want, but if you don't send back some sort of signal, is it really going to count? Are they going to know? They're just going to keep throwing out info, right? There's a billion analogies that you can use for this, right? Your furnace, if the thermostat doesn't work, then your furnace is just going to keep pumping out hot air and your house is going to get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter because the thermostat is not sending back the info to the furnace to ah, cool it, cool your jets, literally, right? So we have proximity and attention. <clears throat> so here's the thing. When we talk about God speaking... Sometimes isn't that a big, huge, like sometimes that could be a big, huge burning bush. Holy moly, like explosions in the sky. That was God, right? And other times, other times that's going to be a still small voice, maybe. 
It's going to be a slow burn. Maybe you don't realize it at the time. And then you look back and there's all of these things that were like, oh, that was God putting all these things together. And I see what he's saying, right? Rob kind of touched on a little bit of both of those with your stories. Um, The reason why I'm talking about this is because the last couple months uh, has been one of those slow burns for me. So just a tangible example for you here. Like what could be better than that? In November and December, uh, those were really long months for me. I was really pouring out and uh, I got to the end of those and I was weary. I was straight tired on every level. And, and I had come to this realization had been slowly building in my mind and people had been saying things and I'd come to this realization that I needed to make some changes or I was going to reach a burnout point, kind of. I was not going to be in a good place. I didn't know what that looked like, but I didn't want to know what that looked like. So I started off with changing some healthy physical habits, like remembering to eat, small things like that. Details, details, minor details, like remembering to feed myself. I'm an adult, I swear. Uh, anyways, so I started to healthy habits and, and then I started to implement some, trying to, trying to implement Sabbath because like we were talking about Genesis and I've been studying that and I've heard this over and over and over and like it's important. I know it's important and I like I have to actually do something. So... Started working on those. And then I started working through some materials and trying to develop some balance in my life. There's a book that I've been going through and it's, it's really good. It's really terrible, but it's really good. Um, it's really good. It's just difficult. Uh, but part of that book was, uh, this thing called, uh, the, the chapter was slowing down for a more loving union, right? Which sounds great for me. I love slowing down. Um, and this more loving union with God, like this ushy gushy, I'm really all about feelings. This is my favorite chapter ever, right? So part of this was slowing down to develop a better relationship with God, which ties in beautifully with this proximity and attention. Because if I'm going to develop a better relationship with him, I need to slow myself down, slow my role, and spend some time with him. Intentionally spend some time with him and spend some space with him and listen to him and interact with him. Okay. And you'd be like, but you're a pastor. You do that all the time. It's your job. Well, that's part of the problem. So I did three things. There are kind of three categories that these things break up into. And you can take these and you can do with them what you will. Okay. The first one is Bible study. Okay. <clears throat> now this was tricky because it's easy for me when I'm studying the Bible to make this about my job. Obviously, like I'm helping Rob come up with sermons every once in a while. They make a mistake and put me on the microphone to preach one. It's a terrible idea. Um, you're welcome. We're team teaching. And originally it was just going to be me. And we were like, that's too much Logan on one live stream. That can't be our first like that. Nope. That's not a good idea. <laughs> so, but nonetheless, like I can study the Bible and that can end up feeling a little bit like work. And that, that kind of puts it over here and that kind of put, that puts God out here like this. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm talking to God and, and I'm studying his word, but I'm not really connecting with him. And so I had to create some space and to create some time. And I had to find some ways for me to study and get into his word, to know his voice, to know the voice of my shepherd so that I could follow him better. Now, what that looked like for me, I started listening to it on audio, specifically on King James, because it's weird and I'm not overly familiar with that one. And so it sounds more storytelling in my brain. I don't know how that works, but it does. And so I would listen to it 
right? And we're doing these life transforming groups. So we're doing three chapters a week and we just do the same three chapters every day, which creates a nice rhythm. Um, we're still doing those via zoom if you're interested in one, but, uh, so we go through these chapters and I would listen to them every day, every day. I'd listen to them sometimes a couple of times, uh, just cause it's easy when I'm listening to them. Okay. Not pulling it apart when I'm studying, I would set aside some specific time just to study it, just to read it, not pull it apart and chase down rabbit trails and go do word searches and figure out what does this word mean and what are the connections and all of that geek out stuff is super good, but that's not what I needed just to connect with my God. Okay. Meditating on it, AKA just sitting there and mulling over it, right? Little thinking guy statue. You've seen that. That's me just meditating on the scripture. Obviously, I look like that. Anyway, um, oh yeah, the camera adds 10 pounds. This is going to be bad. Uh, I forgot about that. Where's my corset? Uh, nonetheless, sorry, I'm distracting myself. You're not even here and I'm getting distracted by you guys. It's so bad. Nonetheless, the next thing that I started working on was prayer, okay? Now, I already had alarms to go off on my phone to remind me to pray for some people. And that was a good thing. So I, I kind of had this, kind of had a little bit of structure there. It wasn't bad, but uh, I got some other ideas. And what I did with these, these alarms is I moved them so that they go throughout the day, right? <clears throat> and when they go off throughout the day, so for example, I have one, uh, Josh, you're in here, so I'm going to use you as an example. Actually, it's two alarms. Josh gets two alarms every day. Uh, and sometimes I actually remember to send him the text, which um, that's my bad, Josh. You haven't gotten one in a, in a hot minute. But nonetheless, so at, at 8.50 in the morning, I get one and it says, uh, remind Josh to pray, which is I send him a tomato emoji. Now, if you don't understand this story, that's too bad. I'm not telling it today, but we can tell that sometime. Just remember tomatoes and praying. That's all you need to know. But anyway, right? So, but I space these out and there's a couple of these throughout the day. And there's one at like 12, there's one at three and I space them out. And what it does is it makes me, it annoys me for one thing. Cause I'm usually in the middle of something and all of a sudden my phone just goes, it might be on silent mode even, but it goes binging off and I've got obnoxious alarm things going off around me. I'm like, no, stop it. Right. But what it does is it makes me stop and pause and slow down and create some time and create some space in the middle of my day to bring God into my day, to bring that relationship in intentionally. And I might be irritated with it at times. Yep, absolutely. Like when I'm in the movie theater, back when we had movie theaters before the end of the world. Um, that was a bad joke. I'm sorry if that hit too soon. But uh, back when we had movie, like I'd be sitting and all of a sudden my phone would go, I'm like, ah, I'm that guy. I'd feel really bad, right? But it would create some space. And suddenly I'm bringing God with me as I'm watching this movie. And if I want to be in relationship with God, what on earth could be better than bringing him along with me when I'm doing anything and everything, when I'm cutting a tomato, dare I say, it'd be wild. Why couldn't I do that better with God? Sounds great, right? So I create some space and I bring him in. It keeps me from just cramming him into say like 30 minutes in the in the morning or right before I go to bed at night, which isn't bad. If that's what you do. Awesome. I felt that I needed to bring him a little bit more throughout my day to deepen that relationship. It's been doing good things. The last one that I want to talk about is worship. Okay. You'd be like, but you're a worship pastor. Like, oh yeah, no, 
that's, I still needed to create some time to worship. Now we can talk about worship until the cows come home. Like this is a big, broad subject. <coughs> Someday, maybe we'll talk about all the sides of this. We'll probably talk about it on footnotes and expand this a little bit because it'll be more fun in a conversation, in a dialogue, somewhat with worship. But it seems like, at least to me, the perfect way to interact with God Right? Because if we're going to have that, that conversation loop thing going on, right? If we're going to give this feedback to God, we need a way to interact with him. And yeah, we can pray and that's an act of worship. You know, we did a, a call to worship a couple of weeks ago where Josh was reading off a bunch of things and was like, yeah, that's an act of worship. That's an act of worship. That's an act of like anything and everything you come up with. But I want to focus like today, music, and I might be biased here. Music has a special way of connecting with God, I think. Maybe I set up a table and have a convince me that I'm wrong, but I think that music is a very special way to connect with God. It's a great way to interact with him. There's something about that form of worship. So I, I would encourage you to set aside some time. Listen to some songs. Maybe it's two or three songs in the morning when you're getting ready to go for the day. Maybe it's, you just find a couple and you throw them on in the car on your commute. I, I don't know, wherever you want to fit that in and set aside, not just, not just fit, carve out, set aside some time to worship. Because if you create some time, you create some space and you listen and then you interact, that's how you're going to know his voice. Now, this is not to tell you that you just need to take all these things that I'm doing. They're mine. You can't have them. You can borrow them. It's fine. But don't just take all of these and say, oh, I need to do these because this is what Logan's doing. I didn't do that. The book's got different examples, right? I took the concepts, time, space, listen, interact. And I want you to take the concepts, figure out what that looks like for you. What you need to do to create those spaces because you're designed different than me. Okay. And if you don't know what that looks like, well, part of this, this is why we have community, right? So Rob's going to come up and once you know this voice, or if you're wrestling with how to know this voice, this is why we have community. So Rob's going to come back out and he's going to wrap this up with what does that look like? How do we wrestle with this? Thanks, Logan. That's a great starting point for hearing God. So hearing God starts by giving God closeness and attention. God didn't design us to relate with him in isolation. We know this is true. In fact, for centuries, Jews have sought out what they call Havarim. And, and I'm pulling some of this from sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus and Spengler and Lois Verberg. Uh, their definition of a Havarim, it's a male student, well, Haver, and then Havarim is plural. A Haver is a male student who partners with another student to enhance learning. Together, Havarim study and discuss the religious texts. A female study partner is a Havara, and the plural is Havarot. And so for centuries, Jews have sought out what they call Havarim. I, I want to look at Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee... 
he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So this is where we get our definition of what it means to be a disciple. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw that two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. And maybe you've never asked this question before, but why four? Why four men? I mean, we know as we, as the story goes on that, that the disciples, they struggled to, to get it. They really struggled to know what is Jesus talking about? So maybe it would have been better for Jesus to just have one disciple. But then, but then later we know that there's thousands of people following Jesus. Like Jesus feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. Like there are big crowds following Jesus. Why does he limit his disciples to 12? Is it that 12 is a magical number? I, I don't think so. I think, I think Jesus is doing something specific here. In fact, reading further from the book, it says this, as critical as it was to study with a rabbi, it was considered essential to have one or two people who could learn right along with you. And so I believe that the disciples had, had these small groups, kind of like our life transforming groups where we have three people come together, three men, three women, three people come together to wrestle over God's word as uh, Logan was describing. Fellow students could ask each other questions that they might be too embarrassed to ask their teachers. Also, partners could learn from each other. Was Jesus aware of this approach to studying scripture, they ask? Consider the words of the early rabbis who said, when two sit together and exchange words of Torah, then the divine presence dwells among them. Now listen to the words of Jesus, where two or three are Gather in my name, there I am with them. Matthew eighteen twenty. And so we see that this concept of Havarim was, was played out amongst Jesus' disciples. We are raising biblical disciples who develop transparent relationships, sacrifice for others, and heal divisions. And we're doing this after the pattern that we see with Jesus and his disciples, and then the way his disciples continue to make disciples after that. And so we're going to disciple like Jesus did. And we have small groups that wrestle with what God is saying in his word. Our care groups are eight to 12 people. They're still meeting. We're using Zoom to facilitate that. Our life transforming groups are three people. They're either going to be three guys or three gals. And again, for the, for the time being, we're using Zoom. But if you want to get involved in one of these groups, if you want to, you know, add to your hovering, if you want to wrestle with other people, what it means to know what God is saying, then invest in these relationships. I don't know how many times I've leaned on godly men and women that I was in relationship with, that we would wrestle with God's word together, just 
as a regular routine, like Logan talks about having a regular routine of sitting down with the scriptures for yourself. We see Jesus go by himself, off by himself to connect with the Lord. And we need to, we need to do that. But I don't know how many times I built this regular routine of, of engaging with other believers. And then one of those folks would have a significant impact in, in a big decision that, you know, like, is this God? Like, this is a big decision. I'm leaving my parents' business. Is God calling me to this? And I had people speak into my life and say, absolutely. Absolutely. Or when I left Post Falls to move to Moscow, people were like, I see God speaking in this. Yes, you are supposed to go. And so I depended on those relationships to help me answer these big questions where I wrestle, God, is this you? So we need Havarim. We need that our own personal regular time. We need Havarim. We need other people to wrestle with us. And then sometimes we need the church at large. A critical question came up within the early church. Do the Gentiles have to be baptized? I'm sorry, circumcised. Clearly they have to be baptized. The question was, do they have to be circumcised? And, and at the heart of what, what the Jews were wrestling with is, will we require the Gentiles to follow the 600 laws of Torah? In other words, do the Gentiles have to follow kosher law? Do they have to wear tassels? Do they have to do all these things that make them, that make us Jewish? Do they have to do these things to join in with us? And so in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. In other words, to become Jewish. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Sometimes the conversation is important enough that you invite the whole church together and go, is this God? Is God calling us to this? We're about ready to make a right turn here, a right turn, or we're going to go straight. Which way are we going? God, which way you, is God leading us this way? Or is God leading us this way? And there's some, some different, you know, uh, priests, presuppositions, different views that we just, different views that we bring to the conversation. And then we start talking and we go, oh, wait, I think I'm hearing through this person over here and this person over here and this person over here. Oh, the picture's becoming clear. This is what God is saying. We did that last June as a church. You know, we had to determine what was going to happen with Mission Ridge the elders had come together and, and they had made a proposal that we stop doing services. But they said, let's invite the people and let's hear from the people and let's see what God's doing 
through the people. And so we came together as a community and we wrestled for a couple hours over, do we continue doing services or not? And the, you guys said, yes. And so that was a big decision point for us as a church. And so sometimes we need Havarim. We need people that we have regularly wrestled with over God's word to help us to figure out, is this God? In this moment, is this what God is saying to me right here, right now? And then sometimes we need the whole church to come together to figure out where is God taking us? What is God leading us to? How will we respond? And so the implication is this, to hear God speak, you have to give him closeness and intention. Whether it's your own personal time, we need that on a daily basis. I need that long before I ever sit down to figure out what God would want me to say to you. I need to take the time to say, God, what do you want to say to me? And so I take a regular time with God every day. And then sometimes I need that regular time of closeness and attention with Havarim. And then sometimes we need closeness and attention with us as a larger body. And as Logan shared, closeness includes time and space. Those things matter for my own personal connection. I have to have a space that I set aside that like, this is where I'm going to spend time with the Lord. It's mine to establish. This is the time that I'm going to use. I have to know that I do better at study, studying at night, but I do better relationally connecting in the morning. So my connection time with God that happens in the morning, if I'm going to study for like what I'm going to preach on, I do that at night. That's me personally. And then intention, we have to listen and interact. We have to use that feedback loop and say, God, what does this mean? Or Havarim, what does this mean? Or church, what does this mean? So our call to action continues to be follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, be on mission with Jesus. And that's going to happen best if you tune your ears to his voice, if you give him closeness and attention. Well, we're about ready to move into our time of communion. And so I invite you to grab your elements. If you happen to have bread and juice, I invite you to, to use bread and juice. If you don't have bread and juice, I invite you to use uh, Something that is special that uh, will just help you to connect just how valuable this act that Jesus performed for us all, how valuable that was. So we do this on a weekly basis. We do this to remember our Lord and Savior, to reflect on the sacrifice that he made even as we've had a sacrifice this week as a community at large, so that we could protect the community at large, Jesus going to the cross so that you and I 
could experience his resurrection and we could have our own resurrection. And I'm so grateful that Jesus was willing to pay that price. So even as we pay the price to social distance so that we could protect the most vulnerable and, and even ourselves, honestly, like we need to protect ourselves from this virus. It's dangerous. So even as we protect the most vulnerable, we participate in social distancing as a sacrifice, we're going to take time to remember the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice where Christ laid down his life. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Lord and Savior. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm so grateful for your sacrifice. You've, you've taught me what it means to sacrifice. How to give things up for the benefit of others. In fact, you call us to, to uh, take up our cross daily. And so as we seek to be a good citizen, we are social distancing, Lord. We are um, washing our hands more often, uh, washing our hands longer. We're uh, keeping things clean and sanitary, Lord. I just think about how you want to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us every time. So thank you for that, Lord. I pray that this be a season, a time that we look back on and we would know that you are working powerfully in our midst that we would see you at work, that we would join you, that we would wrestle to know, is this God speaking? So that we could partner with you, that we could respond to your invitation. Thank you for the hovering that you've used in my life and so many others. Thank you for the way you are uh, blessing Logan as he pursues his own personal connection time with you. I've seen the difference it's made for him. I know it's made a difference for me. I'm hoping that our people will engage in this wholeheartedly. We love you. We celebrate you as God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.